We carry water on our heads, babies on our backs, joy in our hips. We till the fertile ground in our garden, in our soul, in our children. We bear fruit, we grow, we watch things grow. We yield fruit in season. We stand in front of fire, on the front lines, in front of desk, behind camera, behind pulpit, in the face of war. We face evil, we face violence, we face obstacles. We stare, struggle in the eyes, and dare struggle to stare back. We take flour, add water, make tortillas, make porridge, make naan, make dumplings, make biscuits, make do with hands that knead the dough, and build the bricks, and raise the babies babies and teach the children and fight poverty. We carry community in our wombs, on our backs, in our arms, in our chest. We take our words and gather them like so many sticks until they ignite. We build fire and around that fire we sing. We sing because a song always gives birth. We sing because a song always knows where the soul is wounded. We sing because a song always reminds us that we are at home in this body, in this skin, and around that fire, we dance. We dance to the tune of liberation. We dance for the women who have gone before us, for the women who are no longer here, for the women who cannot speak. We dance and fight for justice until every woman is free. Hear the drums in the rhythm we walk. As we speak our mother tongue, as we say prayers in our mother's tongues, we find our language in banana leaves and avocado, in mango and yams and rice and seaweed, we tell our stories while braiding the hair of our daughters, while standing in front of a boardroom, while building a business, while frying chicken. We tell our stories while leading the way in protest, while going to school, while performing surgery, because nobody gets to tell our stories for us, because our stories belong to us, because we belong to each other. We raise our hands. We raise our voices. We raise the next generation we create. We pioneer, we invent, we look ahead, we know the way. We see no path, so we use our feet to build one for the ones who will come after us. We leave a legacy in the sound of our laughter. Every day, we build a world. Thank God for women. Well, thank God for women. I hope that you enjoyed that special spoken word from my good friend, Amina Brown Owen. She is phenomenal. And I want to welcome you to our service. I'm Pastor Tyler. Um, if you're tuning in for the first time, I have the privilege of serving here as a lead pastor at New Dimensions in Pensacola. And obviously, you can tell we switched up the look today. And I have the privilege of recording at the groundbreaking Watson Law Firm run by a pillar of this community, Brother Aaron Watson. He's phenomenal. Obviously, we're outside. So if you hear some things pass by, it's all good. We wanted to give it a different look. Uh, today and of course for today we recognize that it is a special day it is a cultural holiday and while it may not be in our liturgical church calendar it is still of vital importance to mention it is Mother's Day we want to wish a happy Mother's Day to every single mother who is watching if you are watching this stream and you're thankful for your mother I want you to type in the comments thank you mom type in the comments right now thank you mom you know, when we think about Mother's Day, there's typically a multiple groups of people who interact with the day. Now, the first group of people are the people who are happy and excited to say Happy Mother's Day. Happy and excited to recognize the phenomenal women 
in their lives. And, and I find myself in that first category of people. You know, I have been blessed with an abundance of riches when it comes to mothers. Uh, of course, I think of my outstanding biological mother, Pastor Diane Burns, uh, who has been a rock in our family, who has loved us so well, who has cared for us, who has shown us what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Mom, I love you. I also want to recognize, of course, cannot forget my outstanding wife, Mylena Burns. She's a phenomenal example of motherhood. She's raised up our two children, continues to be that example. She's tireless. She's faithful. She deals with me when I'm away doing these crazy videos. Uh, Mylena, I love you so much. I'm so happy and glad, number one, to be married to you, but number two, that you are the mother of my children. I can't fail to mention as well my mother-in-law. Wanda Henson, who's a beautiful example of Christ-like character and who has welcomed me in selflessly uh, to her family as her son. Mama Henson, I love you so much. And I cannot, last but not least, I cannot forget my grandmother. Actually, the only grandmother that I have a relationship, or only grandparent that I have a relationship with, Mama Lily. She has loved me so well and she always keeps me laughing. Grandma, I love you so much. If you are thankful for the people in your life, that's your testimony. If you're in this first group of people like me and you truly, truly love whoever it is that is connected to you who is a mother, I want you to type in the comments, I love my mama. I love my mama. You know, but it's it's also not just the first group of people, but I also recognize that this can be a dark day for people as well. I recognize that for some people, this is not a, a healthy remembrance of what is, but it's a painful reminder of what is not. And so I wanna give complete space. I wanna give you room. I wanna give you just the opportunity to really unload that here, to be seen. I see you, we see you. Most importantly, God sees you. I'm thinking of the people who do not have mothers in their lives. I'm thinking of the people who would desire to be mothers, but up until this point, they cannot conceive. I'm thinking of the people who maybe their parents, their mother has passed away recently. Again, I see you, we see you, and most importantly, God sees you. You know, when reflecting on the benefits I received from my mother, my most vivid memory of my childhood when it comes to her is listening to her pray and praise God and speak in tongues while she was washing dishes. I know that seems like something that's really odd. I know that seems like a, a common occurrence and something that would happen. But, but you know, it's really interesting because it has shaped the way that I carry myself and shaped the way that I view God and the presence of God. And I just remember my mother, she had this intense, passionate, she still has this intense, passionate relationship with Jesus. You know, simply put, when I look at my mom, I see God in her. When I look at my wife, I see God in her. When I look at my mother-in-law, my grandmother, I see God in them. And the testimony of motherhood is the reflection of God in them, in you who are watching. You know, when we think about the reflection of God when it comes to motherhood, there's a story that comes to mind, and I have to be honest with you, it's not a light story, it's a painful story, a tragic story about the history of our country. About 65 years ago, in a town called Money, Mississippi, a mother was greeted with her worst nightmare. This mother had allowed her son, who was 14 years old, to visit her extended family, his extended family, in Money, Mississippi for the summer. Now one night, this young man was picked up by two white men who accused him of breaking the racial code of the South. He was taken to a remote location, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he was shot and killed, brutally murdered. This mother had to face her worst nightmare. This mother had to face the difficulty of a 
dead child, the difficulty of a murdered son. And this case garnered national news after the two men were acquitted of this crime. And then soon after, a few months later, they admitted openly that they had done it, safe now from the penalty, safe now because of double jeopardy in the legal system. And tens of thousands of people came out to commemorate this young man, to commemorate his death. And when it was suggested to her, based upon the fact that her son was disheveled, or based upon the fact that her son was disfigured and dismembered, when it was suggested to her that she should have a closed casket, instead she said, no, I want the world to see what they did to my baby. I want the world to see what they did to my baby. Of course, I'm talking about Mamie Mobley Till. Of course, I'm talking about a very special woman who made the decision and, and gave us one of the most seminal images of the civil rights movement. Her son, Emmett Till, who was 14 years old, was brutally murdered. And much of the civil rights movement leads back to his death and the publication of those photos. The photos of a murdered son. So I want to ask you today, I always, when I think about the story, I ask myself this question. I want to ask that to you today. Can you see her? Can you see her son? Can you see what they did to her baby? Now, normally I would never preach a particular message, a Mother's Day themed message, or any cultural holiday, to be honest. I mean, who am I to speak about mothers? Who am I to speak about motherhood? I'm keenly aware of that. And church, I have to be honest with you, I had every intention of doing another Back to the Future sermon, continuing our series. But God would not allow me to act as though today is business as usual. This has not been a normal week. This is not a normal day. Because over the past week, we have realized that there's another mother who had to confront the murder of her son. I'm talking about Wanda Cooper Jones. Wanda Cooper Jones recently found out that on February 23rd, her son, 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery, was running in Brunswick, Georgia, running in a neighborhood, minding his own business. He was greeted by two armed white men, shot and killed, gunned down, left in the street. And the video of this murder has circulated over the past week and people have responded with outrage and people have said all kinds of things. You know, the parallels to Emmett Till are very interesting. A young black man minding his business. Two white men who decided to enact revenge and hate. But there's one key difference. You see, Emmett Till was killed under the cover of darkness at night. Ahmaud Arbery was murdered in broad daylight. And it's captured all of us. And while the focus has been on the injustice and what we can do and the change of our legal system and how we will get justice and what will happen. You know, on Mother's Day, I feel led to think about Wanda Jones. I feel led to think about her. And I just ask myself the question and I ask you the question, can you see her? Can you see her son? Can you see what they did to her baby? You know, I hope, church, that you will trust me. I hope that you'll trust me not just to preach what I know, but to lead you into the mud, to lead you where I believe God is taking us. I, for one, refuse to look away. I challenge all of us to see what God is saying to us in this moment. I believe that God is speaking to us at the intersection of all of this, at the intersection of a grieving mother, at the intersection of senseless death, at the intersection of the character of God. We're right in this moment. I believe God wants to challenge us so that we can change. He wants to teach us so that we can be transformed. Mothers in the Bible, you know, they're not often talked about. And, and even when they are talked about, they're often very invisible. invisible. They're nameless, faceless. 
And what I see is that, you know, there are, there are often times that when I'm reading through the scriptures, there's names that pop out that I'm not familiar with because I haven't heard a study on them or I haven't heard a sermon preached about them. And today I'm going to preach about one of those particular mothers. You probably never even heard of her name. If she was mentioned to you, you wouldn't know she was a biblical character. But she's found in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Her name is Rizpah. And Rizpah dis displays and reveals the character of God at the intersection of grieving motherhood and senseless men. Look at 2 Samuel 21. It tells us, look at, look at verse 1, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his bloodstained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. Then the king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul and his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. So just to give you the background and the frame here, after David talks with the Gibeonites, he desires to make it right. He says, what can we do to make this situation right? And they suggest that they get seven of Saul's descendants, seven of Saul's uh, relatives, seven of Saul's sons, and actually put them to death. And that would basically settle the account. It brings to mind mob movies, right? When you take someone's family of a rival mob family, a rival crime gang, then, then if, if you want to make peace, then they're able to take someone from your family. It seems like that sort of trade-off. And right in the middle of all this, in verse 6, 2 Samuel chapter 21, it says here, let seven of the male descendants be given to us, to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord, and give me of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said this, I'll give him to you. And then notice in verse 7, the king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But the king took Armony and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Aya's daughter, Rizpah, whom she had born to Saul, together with the five sons of, of Saul's daughter, Merab, whom she had born to Adriel, son of Barzili, the Maholite. And he handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed them and exposed their bodies on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Picture this. These seven sons are killed. These seven descendants are murdered. These seven descendants are impaled and put on display on the rocks before the Lord. Can you imagine the anguish? Can you imagine the grief? Can you imagine the senseless death? You see, there's a theological debate. Scholars, you know, people who really nerd out over the Bible, they study this and then they have this theological debate about whether or not David really had to do this. There's this theological debate about whether or not this story is actually even true or if it was a narrative that was crafted to make David look bad. There's all kinds of perspectives, but the truth of the matter is I'm not getting into the debate about what this is and what it meant. The fact of the matter is that sons were killed. The fact of the matter is that a grieving mother had to see her sons killed. This is the underside of motherhood. The underside of motherhood actually reflects the character of God in that sometimes there are mothers who have to see some things that other people refuse to see. And Rizpah here, she displays the character of God. Rizpah here teaches us our first lesson. And this first lesson is difficult. This first lesson is heavy for us. That there are times when you have to stare at what everyone else refuses to see. Let me repeat that. There are times that you have to stare at what everyone else refuses to see. 
I often think about Rizpah. As I was studying, I thought about what it would be like to stare at your sons, to stare at the two of them. Can you see her? Can you see her sons? Can you see what they did to her babies? You know, I thought about this and, and I thought maybe that's how Mamie Mowgli Till felt. Maybe that's how Wen Carr felt. Maybe that's how Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin, felt. Maybe that's how Lucy McBath, the mother of Jordan Davis, felt. Maybe that's how Leslie McSpadden, the mother of Mike Brown, felt. Maybe that's how Geneva Reed Veal, the mother of Sandra Bland, felt. Maybe that's how Mary, the mother of Jesus, felt. Having to watch their children murdered. Having to watch their children dead in the streets, dead under public spectacle and display. And that's the underside of motherhood. But again, this reflects the character of God and the example that God calls us into. Because there are times where we have to stare at what everyone else refuses to see. Everyone else may leave. Everyone else may close their eyes. But I'm here to tell you there are some things that you cannot turn a blind eye to. There are some things in your family that you cannot ignore. There are some things in our culture that you cannot close your eyes and act as if you don't see, you have to stare at some things that everyone else may refuse to see. And when you look at things that everyone else lives, when you notice things that are difficult to watch, you're mirroring the character of God. That's what Rizpah did. Rizpah walked up on them. And in verse 10, it shares with us that she took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on the rock. And she sat down with her son's bodies. Can you see her? Can you see her sons? Can you see what they did to her babies? And she sits down and she observes the death. She observes the pain. You see, God in his character, the sight of God is something very interesting. The first time that God is named, it's actually by another mother. Her name is Hagar. And in Genesis chapter 16, after God communicates to Hagar, who's pregnant with Abraham's love child, Ishmael, and after he gives a predictive prophecy about how powerful and how mighty Ishmael is going to be, Hagar has the audacity, the confidence, the boldness to name God. The first time anyone had given God a name, it was actually by a mother who was marginalized. Look at what it says, Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Or she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. God sees. And when you stare at what everyone else refuses to see, you're closely connected to the character of God because remember, God saw you and he didn't turn away from you. God saw how dirty you would be. God saw how sinful you are. God saw your brokenness and your dysfunction. God saw your mess ups and your hang ups. God saw your ups and your downs. And God didn't close his eyes to your plight, but rather God stares at you and sees you. He's the God who sees. And if he can see Hagar, and if Rizpah can see her sons, and if these women can see their children, we should be able to stare at things that everyone else cannot see. Everyone else refuses to see. Not only that, but the story continues. Look at the B clause of 2 Samuel 21, verse 10. It says here that from the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the wild animals by night. You have to catch this picture. She actually guarded them. When it says that she made out sackcloth on the rock, sackcloth is typically morning material. The truth of the matter is, as scholars would say, that she actually placed a tent over their bodies. She actually looked at the rapid decomposition that would take place from the heat and from the rain and from the elements of the outside, and she places a tent over them. She covers them. She protects them. She guards them. 
and not only guarding them, she guards them at great risk to her own life. She guards and protects them from the birds during the day. She guards and protects them from the jackals and the coyotes and the wolves at night, wild animals who would love to feast upon their flesh. What a picture of motherhood. What a picture of commitment. You know, it actually spawned this poem from a guy named Rudyard Kipling, very, very popular author who wrote The Jungle Book. And Rudyard Kipling said this. He is actually inspired by the story of Rizba. He said, if I were hanged on the highest hill, mother of mine, oh, mother of mine, I know whose love would follow me still. Mother of mine, oh, mother of mine. He said, I know that if I'm on the highest hill, my mother wouldn't leave me. I know that if I'm in the furthest place, my mother would stay right beside me. Again, this is mirroring the character of God. This is mirroring the heart of God, you see, because there are some times when we're called to stay in situations where it doesn't seem like we should stay. And sometimes when everybody leaves, think about this fact, that's why have to guard those boys' bodies alone. Can you see her? Can you see her sons? Can you see what they did to her babies? She had to guard them alone by herself but she refused even after everyone had left. She refused to leave. She stayed even after everyone had gone. And isn't that like a mother to stay with you when everybody else leaves you? You know, you can always find home in mama's arms. That's been my testimony that so many of you and what we find is that we can always find acceptance and fulfillment there. We can always find a hand that is going to stick with us that if everyone leaves us, our mothers will stay beside us. That's the testimony of so many of us. But isn't that just like God to stick with you when everybody leaves you? I'm so glad that I serve a God who does not leave me when I have been abandoned by everyone else. You see, there are times in your life when you have to stay when everyone else leaves. There are times in your life where you have to stare at what everyone else refuses to see. But secondly, there are times in your life where you have to stay when everyone else has left. That is mirroring the character of God. Remember that God has not abandoned you. Remember that God has not left you to yourself. Remember that God has not left you alone. God has not left you wanting, but my Bible says that he's with me till the end of the age. He's with you till the end of the age. God is so good. He's not going to abandon and leave you, but he's going to stay. And here's the trade-off, though. If God is going to stay beside us, we've got to stay beside others. We've got to stand in what we call solidarity with other people. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know it may cost you some things, but you cannot sit back and act as though people have company and companionship when they are standing by themselves. Are you willing to stand for others? Are you willing to stand beside others when everyone else has left, when the news cycle left, when the news reporters abandoned the story? Are you still going to stand by? Are you still going to continue to fight for justice and equality and the things of flourishing for the people in our communities? Are you still going to stay even after everybody else has left? I want you to type in the comments, just as a reminder to you, when you think about God, I want you to type, he didn't leave me. He didn't leave me. God could have left you. At certain points, sometimes we might think God should have left us. But he didn't leave me. And I'm thankful I serve God like that. That's good enough just for me to give this quiet hand clap of praise right here on this screen. Because I believe it shows the character of God when we stay, even though everybody else is there. Finally, here we see something very interesting from Rizpah. And Rizpah shows us in verse 11 that her actions had a reverberating effect. You know, scholars say that she guarded her son's bodies for five months. At least five months she guarded them throughout the entirety of the season.
pushing them away, she realized that it was sacrilege for them not to have a proper burial. She realized that it was sacrilege for them to be in the heat and disfigured and dismembered. And Elizabeth's actions had a reverberating effect. They actually reached the king. It says here in verse 11 that when David was told what Aya's daughter Rispa, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh Gilead. They had stolen their bodies from the public square of Bethshan, where the Phil Philistines had hung them. And after they struck down Saul on Gilboa, David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. You see, her actions, it doesn't say here that David had spoken to her. It doesn't say that David threw a parade for her. It doesn't say that David acknowledged her. It doesn't say that David even came and paid his respects. It says that they gathered up the bones, not just of Saul and Jonathan, but all those who were killed, which is symbolizing, which is intimating to us, implying to us that they did the same thing with her boys. So her actions actually indicted the powerful. Her example actually shamed the king into action. So she changed things dramatically. She shifted things. You see, there are times, yes, when you have to stare at what everyone else refuses to see. There are times when you have to stay even after everyone else has left. Then there are times, finally, when we have to change what everyone else refuses to confront. There are times when we have to change what everyone else refuses to confront. Church, I want to challenge you. We're in a moment. We're at the intersection of grieving motherhood. We're at the intersection of senseless death. We're at the intersection of the character of God. We're stuck in this moment. It's a cultural moment. I was texting Pastor Burns earlier this week, and I was telling him I feel like this is a moment. And this is a moment for change. This is a moment for action. This is a moment for activity. This is a moment for intentionality. This is a moment where we should not let pass us by. It's a vital moment. It's a God moment. It's a Kairos moment. And what God is saying is he's challenging the people of God. He's saying, I need you to change the things that society refuses to confront. I need you to change the things that people have turned a blind eye to. I need you to change gentrification. I need you to change redlining. I need you to change the inequity in our healthcare system. I need you to change the disparities in our educational system. I need you to change the economics of how we do things. I need you to change mass incarceration. I need you to change the things that we constantly see, that we always talk about, and society is fumbling around saying, what can we do? And they're having argument after argument. What God is saying is, who will confront it? Who will stand up and say, we will be the agents of change? And again, remember, this is connected to the character of God. See, because God didn't leave you like he found you. Oh, you better hear that again. God didn't leave you in the same way that he found you. He says, come as you are, but don't stay as you were. God decides to bring you in, but he changes and transforms you. But here's the trade-off. Watch this. Just like God isn't going to leave you like he found you, you can't leave the world like you found it. You can't leave the world in the same way you found it. You have to be an agent of change. I know this may seem overwhelming, but what we see here is it starts in our hearts. It starts in our families. It starts in our homes. It starts in our neighborhoods. It starts in our communities. And it fans out into the world. Can you cover? Can you confront and change your own family? Can you confront and change your own self? Can you confront and change even the difficult things in your neighborhood, in your city? And if you can, Bearing the character of God. Rizpa, I love her story. I've only covered a little bit of it. But she had tenacity. She had boldness. She had strength. 
And it's the strength of motherhood. The underside of motherhood actually reflects the character of God. The pain at the intersection. The grieving mother, senseless death, the character of God. Here we sit on the other side. What will we choose? Where will we choose to go? You know, I remember hearing Coretta Scott King, another mother who had a husband that was taken away from her, obviously Dr. Martin Luther King. And she was speaking to women and she said, if, if, this, if this nation is going to change, then you must become the soul of this nation. She was challenging them. She was saying, you have to become the soul. You have to speak because so many others will not. Far be it for us, far be it for us who are men, far be it for us who claim the name of Jesus Christ, not to stand up and say, we must become the soul of this nation. The moral fabric hinges upon us because our children come behind us. Generations to come must know that we stood, must know that we reflected the character of Jesus and reflected the character of God in such a way at the intersection of a grieving mother and senseless death, we were willing to commit to stare at what everyone else refuses to see to stay when everyone else leaves, and finally, of course, to change what everyone else refuses to confront. I pray you respond like Rizman. I pray that you model and mirror what she is modeling from the character of God. May we commit ourselves not to turn a blind eye. Can you see her? Can you see her sons? Can you see what they did to our babies? Do something. Well, I hope that you were encouraged and challenged by the word that came forward. Can you see? Can you see her? Can you see her sons? Can you see what they did to her babies? I want to hold space for people who may have wanted to make a spiritual decision, who may have been convicted, want to make a step towards Jesus. I want to leave space for you. And I actually want to pray for you. And I want to pray for all our mothers as well. And I'm going to pray for all of us that we would model the response to the things that are happening in our world. So would you bow your heads with me or lift up your hands right now, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Father God, we acknowledge how great and mighty you are. We acknowledge that there is no distance in you, even though there is distance between us ourselves physically. God, I pray that we were challenged and changed today. I pray that we were taught to be transformed. God, I pray that the word would fall on good ground, that it would dig deep into the soil of our soul, that we can bear much fruit. God, I pray for those who are watching, who are mothers, who feel overwhelmed, who feel tired. God, I pray a special blessing upon them. I pray that we would appreciate them, love them well, serve them, and never fail to acknowledge the sacrifices that they have made for us. God, I also pray for those who maybe have difficult relationships with their mothers. I pray that you would give them so much grace and healing. Be the salve in their wounds, God. Be the salve in their family wounds. And God, we ask that in every single day that we would acknowledge you, that we would be motivated to change, motivated to do everything that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us. I hope that you're encouraged. Well, if you guys want to take that next spiritual step, you can type home in the comments or you can text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. Even if it's not for salvation, but it's for encouragement, maybe you're tired, maybe you want to talk through some more things, we would love to point you in the right direction as you continue to follow Jesus. And again, if you missed the opportunity to give earlier, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings, or you can mail it in to six, PO Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida at 32503. We thank you so much 
for joining us as a virtual guest in our online worship experience. I pray that you would challenge and change. Special thanks again to the Watson firm for letting us record here today. And I hope that you have a safe and healthy week. I hope to see you next week as well as we continue to unpack the series Back to the Future. On behalf of our entire team, on behalf of our entire church, I'm Pastor Tyler Burns. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week right here at New Dimensions where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. Be blessed.